Well, good morning, everyone. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we are coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today I am with Richard Grove, uh, who I have listened to for probably about two years in the grand uh, timeline of life, uh, more so the last two or three months after I started going down this idea. He has a new movie called State of Mind that is going to be coming out that Alex Jones um, premiered a couple months back. And then from there, I started to see a lot of his, um, he does a lot of podcasts and he does a lot of really cool things related to um, cognitive liberty and, and thinking for yourself and how do you uh, get your mind to think outside the box, literally outside the box. So I have asked Richard to come on the a show today to talk about how to break the chains of institutionalized thought. So Richard, how are you doing today? I am outstanding, Stephen. Thank you for having the show and for inviting me on. Oh, dude, it's the privilege is all mine, to be honest with you. I, I have to admit, uh, when I sent out the original email, I was very hopeful, and you got back to me very quickly, which is an amazing, uh, cool thing, is that you get your answer back really quick and you're open-minded to it. So thank you very much uh, for taking the time today to come on the show. But well, I dig what before, you do. I want to encourage it. And I also, I, I listened to that interview you did with John Rappaport on creativity and imagination. I think it was fantastic. Uh, it is um, it is kind of interesting when you get down to life and thinking about sport and how so many people think that it's just if you're tall or if it's just if you're, um, if you're you know, a very big person like in football. But Every coach and their mother tells you 80% of sport is in your head. And it's interesting how nobody ever talks about that aspect. They just say, well, just think straight or just think better or it's in your head. Well, okay, that's cool. But the tools I'm given, I can't put all the pieces together. And that is the biggest piece of what I want to accomplish today is that I really feel that you have a philosophy to be able to put all those pieces together so that they don't become random thoughts anymore, that they become a coherent straight, logical thought, and then you apply your creativity to it, and then life opens up like a, like, um, I like the words, you like the word serenity and, and, and self-reliant and self-confident. All these things come out of this once your thoughts are, are straight. But before we go there, I want to do kind of a logical approach. Could you give us a little bit more of your background and how you kind of uh, entered into this world of education and and tying uh, cognitive liberty and institutionalized thought all together. Yeah, sure. Uh, I I was born in 1973 uh, in a town called Beaver outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I grew up in the heyday of the Steelers uh, winning four Super Bowls, <laughs> and it was during a time when a lot of the steel was being shipped out. You know, the steel mills were leaving the country, and so Pittsburgh being a steel town was going through what they branded as a renaissance where a lot of businesses were switching over. So the time of the Steelers' popularity juxtaposed to me being, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, juxtaposed to the, the changeover in industry and personality and, you know, looking at people's persistence and being willing to take whatever job they could find at that point and that sort of thing. So I grew up in a, in a culture of blue-collar workers, I grew up in a sports culture. I played baseball, football, and hockey all through uh, high school, and uh, I played hockey uh, intramurally through college. And I found it uh, to be a great education to teach you how to communicate and work with other people, how to build physical skills, 
And I was fortunate to have some coaches that taught us a lot of intellectual skills uh, and, and which really took it, you know, took some of these sports on the field into a, a classroom of the mind. And uh, one of, you know, one of the things that, uh, that came out of that was we won a state, state championship for hockey in Pennsylvania in 1991. So I got to go from someone who didn't know how to skate in eighth grade, who taught myself how to skate through learn to skate class, joined the team, made the varsity team, and then experienced, uh, you know, being on a team of, of champions and some truly great players. So that kind of prepared me in some ways, I thought, to go out into the world. And in many ways, it did. But uh, when you juxtapose that to the schooling system that I was going through while I was playing all those sports, what I found out later in life was that there was a lot of useful tools that individuals should have to be successful. And successful individuals usually do have these tools implicitly. But what I found to be of specific benefit over the past 10 years is bringing words to these vague ideas so that you can find out what these explicit methods are and do them consistently to achieve consistent results, which in the athletics world uh, is something, you know, reflective of what Tiger Woods does. Exactly. And that's one of the big pieces to the puzzle is tying this concept together because there, in the world of sport, there is no, you know, magic silver bullet type of a scenario. But if you can compete at a high level like Tiger Woods, like Michael Jordan, these uh, very high-level athletes all would talk about the iron will that they had to succeed or something that was always a mental capability, but yet it's this magic thing that Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods had or, you know, this kind of thing where really it is it is not as easy as that in the sense that, oh, they just have it, but there are some tools, some ways, because Let's go into a little bit more because I one of the other pieces of uh, our films that you put out is called The Ultimate History Lesson. And John Taylor Gatto, could you give us a little bit of the history of that and how you see his idea of the 12 elite, uh, the boarding school thoughts, and how the Prussian educational system and how those tied together to essentially put us in a position where we don't really understand what we're thinking? Well, sure, and it ties into exactly what you were talking about because what I really learned through, uh, through sports was persistence. I wasn't a particularly physically talented player, but I learned to keep practicing things and, you know, until I built skills. So I kind of did it the old-fashioned way, you might say. Well, you know, some people call it the hard way. And that was also in combination with a lot of positive you know, envisioning and thinking through what you're actually going to do before you do it and these sort of things. And, you know, bringing those techniques together after I graduated from school in the business world, led to me being very successful to a point. Those old-fashioned methods that you pick up that might be just, you know, common knowledge and you might be able to get, you know, some from your family's work ethic or any of these sorts of uh, surroundings, that can only take you so far. The question, why? Well, there's, you know, there's uh, another, I don't want to call them another class because they're they're the same human beings as we are. They just have been led into a privileged life where, people don't have to work as much. And because they don't have to work as much, they have more time to figure out how life works. And in some cases, how to plunder other people's production, which in sports we call cheating. So, you know, uh, <laughs> cheaters never win and winners, uh, you know, winners never quit, these sort of things. Uh, persistence is what I think honest integrity in, in sports are, you know, are about. And you have this other class of people who are, you know, the cheaters in life. In a business world sense, these cheaters have created universities that give a very specific information set 
to the group of kids that they're grooming as the next leaders of the world. And this is, you know, there's multiple levels and layers and stories to it, which is why eventually when I did research into, you know, how the world works in actuality as opposed to how we're taught, I came across the works of this uh, author named John Taylor Gatta. Now, the reason I, you know, kept hearing his name over and over again was he was the New York City and New York State School Teacher of the Year on numerous occasions, and after being used as this figurehead to advertise how good the schooling system was, he resigned famously on the op-ed page of the Wall Street Journal saying that he refused to go on, you know, hurting children because of what, what they're being taught is how to be servants, non-thinking servants who don't, uh, don't do much but stimulus reaction type things, and it, it crushes creativity and imagination and all the things that you need to have, uh, you know, the successful athlete, they're also taking away from individuals for other reasons. It's not just it's not to crush sports, but crushing sports is a you know consequence of this uh, controlled demolition of our education system. And so after I came across John Taylor Gatto's work, I really didn't get it at first because uh, there's there's a lot to it. And what he's talking about is the corruption of our education system. And because my education had been severely corrupted, um, I was having trouble getting the point. The point was I was incompetent. I was dumb. And I needed to do some learning. And once I started learning, I revisited his works. And I was like, wow, this guy's brilliant. He's describing exactly what we all went through. He's describing the loss of these tools. Not the loss, the purposefully, you know, the purposeful taking of them out of our curriculum across not only the United States but across Europe across Japan, China, like all the countries around the world have adopted this type of education system. So the difference between, you know, these, uh, the 12 elite boarding schools that you mentioned at the beginning of the question and what we know as the Prussian education system, which is the system that was adopted in America as an American education system in the late 1800s, that's what, you know, severely started the trend of uh, collectivizing our education system, meaning it's no longer about building competent, self-reliant, capable individuals with real self-confidence. It's about building a servile class of people who are subservient to authority, who do not use create, creativity or imagination to, to cross the chasm when they come to a problem. They have to wait for an authority or an expert or a teacher to tell them what to do next. Now, I come from a part of the world where you can't wait for people to tell you what to do next. You kind of have to pick up on what's going on and learn how to survive. In the winter, that means cutting some wood and making a fire, and if the fire goes out and it's cold, you gotta start another fire. These are the sort of things, you know, some people are just disconnected from reality so far that they don't know where their food comes from. They don't know why they have shelter. They don't know about, you know, danger and natural predators in the world, these sort of things. So what I've seen through the educational system uh, uh, evolution or de-evolution is the creation of a, of a naive class of people in an extended adolescence who don't really become adults until they're almost 30, if at all. Interesting. That's a, because this is the part that I think took me a while too, because I sit there and look back at, I've been listening um, and attempting to, I've always been kind of an individual. You know what I mean? I always said, you know what, I really don't care what you think. I'm just going to do it anyways, which has a value but undisciplined, it becomes chaos. And it's interesting when I look at my career in sport, I had talent uh, but did not apply it and just said, well, screw it, I'll do it my own way. And it's interesting because 
the school system or what I was being taught essentially said, you know what, don't worry about it. Just come over here and listen to us. Just come over here and sit down. Just come over here and do this. Even though you failed, it's okay. Just come over here and sit down. And they didn't, I could never understand why I could put it together. And I'll put it even one step further is that I went out and started two companies and I grew them to $2 million in sales um, in my apartment, literally, you know, and uh, just thought I was the world, but then they failed immediately. I could never figure out why this big flat would come on one side and it was different each time. And I, what I've realized now was that I wasn't given all the tools to make these good quality decisions. Now the, the position that comes down to is you know, essentially, I've always asked, well, why are they doing that? If this was such an, uh, an obvious thing, why are they doing that and they're not giving us all the tools? I laugh because, you know, I'm taking notes as you're talking. And I thought, well, I started a company for my, you know, I, I started my own business in college. And then I went out into the working world only because my parents said, uh, you're not going to have insurance working for yourself. You need insurance. And they kind of put the fear of God into me. And I went out and got into the working world. And, uh, you know, I, they teach us how to make money. Oh, I made a million dollars before I was 30. That sounds like a success story, right? They yeah. do not teach us how to keep that money. <laughs> that, is my, that was the downfall. You know, they don't teach you how to invest. They teach you how to spend. They don't give us goals in these magazines of build out an investment, invest something for your family. It's like, no, buy this. This is this thing that says if you have this, you're socially acceptable because we live in a society of conspicuous consumption that demands because you don't have the self-confidence and self-esteem and self-reliance that comes from learning how to learn anything for yourself, starts with asking questions. And if, if you don't have that, you are immediately outsourcing to buying the latest fashions, buying a fast car, doing you know all these things that they tell us. This is what you do with money if you have it. No, that's not what you do. That's not what people with money do. Not the real people with money. Not the people writing the checks for the sports players, right? <laughs> Yeah. They're investing in human resources that harness people's attention. That's how a professional sports works. See, and the, the funny thing about I, – I shouldn't – my family won't think it's funny, um, meaning my wife, uh, when she has to go through the ups and downs. But what I realized was my idea – it's funny because one of the uh, pieces to the puzzle was I was asked one time, uh, or they were talking about classical liberalism, I think, or something like this, the foundations of classical liberalism. And they were saying is growth equals stability. Growth equals stability. I'm like, man, that's exactly what I used to do. I used to grow my company so stinking fast that that would create this magic stability. Well, no, it created failure. You know, and it's funny because it's it's like, I mean, you could have just told me that, and I would have saved my family the frustration, you know, of years worth of ups and downs and overs and unders. And I see the same thing being done, like we talked about earlier in our coaches thing. Oh, yeah, 80% of all success in sport is in your brain. Well, okay, well, what do I do? I, I don't understand. And I, I think people need to take the time to really invest in your site uh, called Tragedy and Hope. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug it because – that is, it's it's taken me probably at least 70 or 80 hours of listening to these different concepts to say, oh, that's what you're talking about. Have you found a magical amount of time that's sort of needed to develop out and to kind of immerse yourself in a different way of thinking before it starts to kind of click for you? Well, I don't think it's so much a, a magical amount of time, but here's what I'm trying to do. 
I understand that the way that they control people and, you know, and, and limit your choices and take away your, you know, your ability to script your own life and have to go by somebody else's scripting in life, uh, they, they do this by stealing your attention. And they make your attention span really short, and the information you need to catch up is really big. And so if you have a short attention span, you're never going to be able to catch up to what they're doing and actually sync up with reality. And I think that's tragic. So most of my media, especially the podcast, is a curriculum designed for you know, anyone who knows how to read and write. And you know, if you're living in this world, it pertains to you. And so what I try to do is present chunks of data that you can use for self-study on given topics. Some people listen to it straight through. Some people listen to it over a week. Some people it might take a month. The point is you're going to continue living, and I'm trying to get people to change their habits and spend more time listening to things that fulfill your mind, exercise your mind, give you long-term gain as well as short-term gain. Uh, gain. And it's, uh, it's less about consuming. You know, you watch a TV show, you might laugh, but at the, at the end of it, what do you have? What did you get that you're going to enjoy 30 years from now? So I try to find these valuable tools, these valuable ideas, uh, whether it's from my research or other things that I come across as I'm learning for myself. And I structure that into a curriculum that you can listen to, uh, press pause, fast forward, rewind, download it, you know, listen to it at your convenience. And uh, the real purpose is to give people the broad spectrum of information or at least give you access to it so you can dig in for yourself that you need to have as a responsible, informed adult in this world, especially in North America these days, because the level of psychological warfare and propaganda is just immense out there. And so you need intellectual self-defense, and these are those tools that you need. It's the 80% of sporting. It is the intellectual self-defense to be able to think through problems and meet challenges and find serenity so you can be present and focused on what you're doing. All right, last question in this segment. But we had talked before we came on air this concept of trying to be different. You know, so many athletes nowadays are told, you know, you know, if you're not six foot six, 280 pounds as a football player, you're not going to be an offensive lineman, you know, or something like this where you don't have the genetic code, which is another day, another discussion related to genetics. But um, if like, I'm just kind of giving a, I want to get your opinion of if everybody is in this educational system and they're taught the same things, and then they're coming to say, okay, you need to be a better problem solver. 80% is in your head. The majority of people are going to look at it and find the same result because they've been taught the same way. Is that a true statement or do you see it a different way? That is a true statement. It's a herd mentality. And what you can do to think different is think beyond what they're telling you. Actually start to think that starts with asking the question, is this all there is to this subject? That's a question. Go out and find it. We have a search engine. There's the Internet these days. We have, there's unlimited information, but also unlimited noise. So what you need to make sense of it all is learn how to find that which exists because these are the answers. Because a lot of what goes on in sports is also affected by your, your private life, your professional life. If you have stress at work, but you're going to the softball game or you're going and doing something more, a little bit more maybe dangerous, like playing ice hockey, uh, having something else on your mind uh, might cause you to get a puck upside the head or something like that. So you've got to be present when you're playing sports. It's important. Rock climbing, you know, you can't be thinking about how you sent out the wrong payroll slip or whatever while you're, you know, trying to get to the top of some mountain. You have to be able to be clear and present to avoid danger. 
And so having these skills puts you at ease uh, in professional life and personal life with your relationships, communication with teammates, however it might work. Uh, so these are skills that, that apply to all areas of life, but especially sports, because that's where you can really enjoy the fruits of all that labor. All right. I did change my mind. I got one other question, because one of the things that I see so prevalent in today's world is the use of technology, you know, be it social media, video games, uh, texting, you know, all these different pieces of the puzzle. Could you talk to us a little bit about the res- the end result of those actions, you know, and how does that continue to keep you involved in the institutionalized thought realm? Well, the one question that you have to ask that institutionalized thought is trained not to ask is when adopting new technology, whether it be personal, professional, or sporting, what is gained and what is lost? For instance, yesterday I was trying to find uh, a fish scale. And they, I, I thought they used to be made out of springs. Now they're all digital. And so I found one that I thought was a, a certainly good deal because it had a scale and a tape measure inside. And I said, that's good for fishing. But then I thought, let's just read the reviews. And it wasn't a good deal. It didn't work. It was a toy. It basically is a joke. And I would have lost money. So, you know, even, you know, this applies to all sports. You have to buy equipment sometimes. Sometimes it looks like a good deal. This is part of the intellectual self-defense. <clears throat> Creating a product that doesn't have the form and function that it claims is a lure. It had a hook in it, and I almost got hooked. So when you're looking at technology juxtaposed to sports, you have to ask questions. Again, before you can make use of it, you have to know what you're giving up by you know, engaging in a digital world as opposed to a spring in the analog. Um, when you're talking about, uh, in your previous question, about you mentioned uh, you know, someone's physical determination versus uh, molecular, eugenic, uh, you know, this is your DNA, you're limited to this. I think human beings have an amazing uh, capability to adapt, evolve, and overcome problems. If you're somebody of a, of a lesser stature and you want to be an offensive lineman, I could, num- I could list any number of things that you could do that would give you a superior advantage over a bigger person. It starts with understanding, the, you know, how they work and how they think and these sort of things, and that's mental but it also, you know, would involve uh, some, some physical tactics and strategies. But, the, you know, the, the point is this information is out there. It can be overcome. It can be learned by you. You don't necessarily need a teacher. You just might need someone to guide you through the basic steps until you learn how to pick up some of these tools yourself, and then you can add to your mental toolbox to uh, achieve cognitive literacy. Done. All right, we're going to go to a quick break, and then we're going to come back and continue our discussion about institutionalized thought and how we can change. <laughs> 